I grew up learning life's important lessons from a lot of places, some traditional and others a little more unconventional. There was one group of friends I'd hang out with on weekday afternoons, which consisted of Mr. McFeely the Postman, Officer Clemens, Prince Tuesday, and of course, Trolley, who shuttled everyone around the neighborhood. Leading this band of diverse characters was a kind and gentle man named Fred Rogers. He always reminded me how important it was to appreciate others and accept them for who they are. He'd say, there's no one in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. His words still hold true to me because today we're talking about diversity and inclusion. Whether it's in the workplace, the land of make-believe, or on the streets in our own neighborhood, we could all take a few more lessons from our good friend, Mr. Rogers. So let's do that now. I'm Jeff Livingston, and this is ADP Canada's Insights at Work podcast. Let's dive in. This is the podcast that looks at what's happening in the HR world, takes your questions and studies the research to help HR experts move forward. It's prepared by HR experts for HR experts. I think we can all agree that 2020 has presented the HR professional with unexpected challenges, some new and others a resurgence in what matters most. With the launch in the Black Lives Matter movement, our workforce's expectations have changed and now more than ever are tasking their leadership teams to face diversity, equity, and inclusion issues head on and deliver a sound diversity plan. Today we're joined by one of Canada's top experts. Kathy Gallagher-Louisi not only teaches about inclusive leadership for Toronto Centennial College, but is also a faculty member of the University of Toronto Corporate Social Responsibility and Sustainability Graduate Diploma Program. She is the co-editor of the newsletter for the Center for Global Inclusion and the principal of CGL Consulting, and we are so lucky to have her here today. Welcome to the podcast, Kathy. Thank you for the kind introduction, Jeff. I'm honored and delighted to be here with you. Well, it's great to have you here, Kathy. We've got lots to talk about, so let's get started. A new study from ADP Canada and Maru Blue reveals what many already know to be true. Canadian workplaces are not immune to systemic discrimination. The study showed that nearly a third of working Canadians reported that they had seen or experienced judgment or misconduct at their workplace based on their ethnicity or their skin color. Kathy, does this statistic surprise you? No, sadly, this doesn't surprise me at all, Jeff. Um, when I was at CCDI, we conducted assessments of nearly 100 organizations from every business sector right across Canada and several multinational companies as well. And we have yet to find a perfect organization. Um, harassment and discrimination are happening in, in literally every organization. Uh, we found though, in many organizations, the business leaders and HR folks were shocked to find out about the extent to which it was happening. And that is one of the biggest challenges in doing diversity, equity, inclusion work is the lack of recognition of the issues. 
Um, and we've certainly seen a lot of organizations sort of waking up to the issues that are happening in their own organizations this year as there's been more discussion about it. But I think there's it's certainly one of the uh, one of the most disheartening and terrible things about our society and our organizations that so many people are experiencing discrimination like this. And we haven't really done enough to address it. Well, let's you and I address some of it today. Kathy, the workplace to me, it's like a second home. I feed off of the energy of my team and I love when we can get together and share ideas and those ideas turn into great projects like this podcast for example where I get to talk to super interesting people like you. So when I saw that the Insights survey results showed that based on ethnicity or religion around one out of every three Canadian workers don't feel comfortable expressing their opinions in the workplace, I wondered if some of my own team members might feel that way. Just think about all the ideas that I'm not hearing about. This is a very important point, Jeff. Um, again, I'm not surprised by this result. In, in our assessments, we found many organizations where people of all backgrounds don't feel comfortable to express their opinions or give feedback at work. Employees in many organizations told us that providing feedback about anything in their organization was not welcomed from a spectrum of either feedback being ignored to outright people being punished for providing feedback. And we found a number of organizations where employees report that their leaders only want to hear positive information. Um, this is really prevalent across all organizations. There was actually a study by NYU in 2014 that found 61% of people surveyed felt explicit or implicit pressure to cover, which means to change some aspect of their uh, themselves um, and to hide their opinions. Uh, this has a lot of implications. You raise a really important one, Jeff. That is, there may be ideas and innovations that you're not hearing about if employees don't feel comfortable and safe to share their opinions. Um, and, and, and additionally, there's there's just great risk in an organization when feedback is discouraged. First of all, it's terribly disengaging for employees when their feedback is not welcomed, or worse, there is a culture of fear. We know the impacts of disengaged employees as HR professionals. And second, frontline employees are usually very aware of the impacts of decisions that are made at higher levels. Frontline employees often know what's most efficient and, and what makes their customers happy or unhappy. If their feedback is not welcomed, it stifles you know, process improvement, it, it stifles customer service improvements, and sometimes uh, frontline employees are forced to implement decisions that have been made at higher levels without their input um, in ways that actually decrease uh, you know, their, their efficiency and their customer service. And third, you know, bringing forward lots of ideas leads to innovation and stifling ideas stifles innovation. And a lot of organizations indicate that they want to innovate, um, but they may have a culture that doesn't encourage that. And fourth, you know, if employees are not able to raise issues or problems, those problems don't go away. They, they often get worse. It's just that in a culture of fear or where feedback is discouraged, the leaders won't hear about the problems until they have blown up into huge issues. So they won't have the opportunity to address these issues when they were smaller and still manageable. Um, and so there's, there's a great deal of risk when we're not willing to accept feedback from the employees in our organization. And certainly we see that across organizations, there are some groups of employees who feel less comfortable to give feedback than other groups. And that is also an, an important piece of ensuring that we have an inclusive organization and environment. Well, let's hope that I learned some tips from you today to help ensure I'm providing the most welcoming environment possible that encourages my colleagues' input. Kathy, in addition to not feeling comfortable enough to express their opinions, the survey identified a negative impact on career progression for some marginalized group. 
I would think that these two factors are related to one another. Here's a pretty shocking figure from the survey. When asked about the negative impacts to their professional advancement, 32% of workers belonging to a visible ethnic minority reported that their ethnicity had negatively impacted their career. Now, this is compared to only 4% of Caucasians. Uh, you're right, Jeff. These things are connected. We're um, you know, it's all part of building diversity, equity, and inclusion in organizations. We're increasing the diverse representation, we're addressing inequities, and we're creating an inclusive environment. And when we don't have an inclusive environment, it's extremely difficult to address inequities and increase diversity. Um, again, this stat is is very, very troubling, um, but also sadly prevalent. And, and I'm actually surprised the number's not higher. This is one of the key moral and ethical imperatives for us to be doing better at diversity, equity and inclusion in our organizations. You know, we have a moral obligation to ensure that we're addressing systemic racism and other systemic inequalities in our society and in our organizations. And this means we have to examine how our systems set up barriers or disadvantages for some groups and advantage others. So, Kathy, what are some of the systemic barriers our organizations have already set up? Where should we look first? This involves taking a real hard look at the biases and the barriers that are built into the way we do things. And that's really challenging for a lot of HR professionals because um, we want to believe that we're doing all the right things and we're doing it based on sound HR practice. But biases are built into everything that we do. And we have to be very um, authentic and transparent about understanding what those problems are, what those issues are, and actually um, taking steps to uh, eliminate um, the barriers and uh, reduce the biases. We can't get rid of biases, but we can uh, take steps to mitigate them. Um, it's 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 a very, very strong moral and ethical imperative for us to uh, right the unfairness and the inequities that have been persisting in our organizations for a long time. Um, and I think we have to do a lot more on this. I'm hoping that this current climate where there's a lot more attention and pressure on organizations to do better here is going to propel many organizations to take a, a good hard look at some of the ways that they may have been contributing to this particular statistic. Kathy, it's great that you mentioned unconscious bias because we actually did a podcast on it last month. And you bring up a great point in how much of a role unconscious bias plays in our decision-making. And if we're unaware of it from the outset, when we're in the recruiting phase, we could be setting ourselves up for diversity failure. So it sounds like discrimination is prevalent in the workplace. There are so many strong business reasons to create an inclusive corporate culture. Kathy, what do you consider the top benefits that the businesses see when they're creating an inclusive corporate environment? Oh, Jeff, the research is just brimming with um, benefits to organizations when they focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, just uh, uh, scrolling through some of my, my previous presentations on the business case and uh, looking at some recent research, there's, I'll, just co I'll cover a few points here. So organizations that are focusing on both diversity and inclusion, and this is an important piece, that some organizations focus on diverse hiring, um, but they're not creating an inclusive environment. Uh, some organizations are focused just on inclusion, but they're not actually focusing on uh, rectifying their um, 
uh, underrepresentation issues in the diversity of their organization. So you really need to focus on both. So when you do, um, we see increased employee engagement by quite a significant margin. And there's some research from Deloitte that quantifies the impact to employee engagement when you focus on both diversity and inclusion. And we know that employee engagement leads to a whole lot of uh, business outcomes in our organizations. We have, when we have a better diversity and inclusion, we have an increased employment brand, better ability to attract top talent and increased employee retention. And as HR professionals, we know how expensive and disruptive employee turnover can be. Um, we see increased innovation. Um, BCG published a research report a few years ago uh, called The Mix That Matters, which actually quantified the impact of diversity on innovation. And they found a direct statistical correlation between diversity on teams and revenues generated from innovation. Research from McKinsey has shown uh, improved financial performance for corporations when boards and leadership teams have gender and ethnic diversity. In Canada, there's research that shows there's a diversity dividend from increasing ethnic representation in companies. There's research that shows uh, what they call a return on uh, disability, which is showing the increased uh, business results when you're creating an accessible and inclusive organization for people with disabilities. Um, we also find that organizations focused on diversity and inclusion have a better ability to expand into new markets. They uh, can improve customer satisfaction. They improve trust with their communities and with their stakeholders. They have improved um, supplier relations and the list just goes on and on and on of the business benefits. So when you think about that organizations that are failing to focus on diversity, equity, inclusion are actually limiting their organization's ability to thrive and to do better fiscally, then they have a fiscal responsibility to actually focus on and improve their performance on diversity, equity, and inclusion, which has a, a range of business benefits, but also has you know the moral and ethical um, benefits of addressing the inequities that exist in our organizations as well. So there's both a moral and ethical business case and a business business case for uh, doing a better job at diversity, equity, and inclusion in our organizations. Kathy, when the boss is leading the charge, I think things tend to get done. Now, this survey showed that 32% of working Canadians feel taking steps to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion is a top priority for their company. But that tells me that 68% of Canadians out there don't think it's a top priority for their company. Is it necessary to have that top-down direction when creating a diversity strategy? Kathy, Who's responsible for driving and leading diversity and inclusion in the corporate culture? Is it the front line, the middle manager, the HR team, senior leadership team? Is it the CEO or the board of directors? It is everyone's job. Everyone should be involved in the efforts to create a more inclusive and equitable environment and help improve diversity in the organization. But there is an imperative that it be driven from a committed and competent executive leadership team or else the organization is just not going to place appropriate importance or resources on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, in organizations where the leadership is truly committed, we see appropriate attention, strategic importance, and resources being directed toward diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially when we have a, a committed and strong CEO who really gets it and is really driving the charge. What we find when you have strong leadership is even those other leaders who aren't quite on board will get on board because their CEO or their, their um, you know, very influential leaders are talking about why this is a strategic importance for the organization. 
And anything that is a truly a strategic imperative in an organization will get appropriately resourced. So when we see organizations that talk about diversity and inclusion is important, um, and leaders will say the right things when they're given a speech, often written by someone else, um, they will say diversity and inclusion is important here, but they don't demonstrate that through their day-to-day -day behaviors or their decision-making or their resource allocation. So it's, it's very clear to people in the organization that it's not a priority because they can see when something is a priority, what the kind of resources it gets. Um, so when when leaders do this, when they say it's important, but they don't demonstrate that, it exacerbates distrust in leaders in those organizations um, because it's hard for employees to trust their leaders when they say one thing and they do something else, right? Um, and further, if there's not committed leadership, there might be some grassroots efforts in the organization, but they cannot make strategic change without the leadership team being on board. After all, diversity, equity, and inclusion is an organizational change initiative, and effective organizational change must be driven from the top and properly resourced in order for it to be successful. Um, so it's absolutely imperative that everybody be involved, but there be a strong, committed and competent leadership team that's really driving the charge to make this this change stick. So we've identified that a solid approach to creating a diverse and inclusive culture lies with everyone. I think it does too. Now, Kathy, you teach a class in inclusive leadership and your work focuses on working alongside Canada's top executives. Kathy, what if they don't have that skill set to carry out this important strategic goal? How can we ensure that executive leadership teams are competent to do this, to walk the talk? That's a great question, Jeff. And I would say there's two things we need to focus on with executive teams and leadership teams. And if an organization is truly committed to this, they need to be rolling this out throughout the organization to people, leaders, and employees throughout. But it's very important that there be accountability and development. So accountability means that there's some kind of performance metrics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the organization and that people, especially executive leaders, are going to be measured on this and their performance is going to be um, partly inclusive, inclusive of these considerations of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And in, in some of the, the best case scenarios and some of the best practices that we see, um, leaders' compensation and, and bonuses are actually tied to meeting objectives around diversity, equity, and inclusion in addition to um, other business objectives. So the accountability is really important because we know that what gets measured gets done. And if people are not being measured on something, then that's just not going to be prioritized for them. The development of the leadership team is also incredibly important because many organizational leaders have never focused on this particular area of competence before. We have uh, leaders who don't understand that they have social privilege. They don't understand that people are having different experiences than they do or than the kinds of experience that they did in, in their climb to the top. So we really need to provide extensive development to leaders to help them understand what is racism and systemic discrimination, help them understand what, what, what anti-racism actually looks like, help them understand how do you address systemic issues in your organization and building their own competence to help them be more inclusive leaders. Because again, most organizations haven't focused on this to the extent that they should. And many people in senior leadership positions haven't focused on this area of competence. And so 
They can only be as good inclusive leaders as they are competent to be. So if they don't have a level of understanding and development in these areas, it's very difficult for them to lead um, and to be inclusive because in, in many cases, they just don't know what they don't know. And what is often happening is their behaviors being interpreted in ways that they don't understand. So there's some, some really great tools that we use, certainly just some basic development, understanding diversity, understanding how our biases work, understanding systemic discriminations and the experiences of different people, understanding inequality. Those are all important pieces that people need to learn. But then awareness is only part of the piece of the puzzle and awareness doesn't actually create change. So, I mean, I can be aware that I should be eating healthy and exercising every day, but am I actually doing the work and getting out and exercising every day? So when we raise awareness with people, that's just one step, but we actually need to encourage them to change the way they're doing things and do the actual work. So one tool that I really like to use for that is called the Intercultural Development Inventory. And we've used it with executive leaders across many different um, organizations. And what this entails is doing an assessment of a person's level of cultural competence. And then we do a training um, you know, with introductory cultural competence information. We provide them with their group aggregate score so we can have a discussion with this team about how the range of different developmental levels on the team are going to impact them being inclusive leaders and is going to impact their ability to lead diversity, equity and inclusion in their organization. And then there's an individual debrief and coaching session with each executive. And this is where the magic happens because these conversations go so deep into people's understanding of their own experience of culture, their own experience of diversity and difference, and some of the things that they find most challenging to manage. And then uh, giving them feedback about their own level of cultural competence. And one of the interesting things about the IDI is it tells you where you think you are and where you actually are, because all of us overestimate ourselves and everyone will have a gap there. So for the leaders, understanding what that gap is, is often uh, becoming aware of the extent to which your intent doesn't match your impact. And in often cases, leaders who are coming from a certain level of development think they're saying and doing the right things when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, but people are interpreting their behavior very differently than what they intend. And often, especially in this realm, people won't give you feedback if you're coming across as ignorant or if you're saying things that show that you just don't quite get it. Um, so this development is goes very deep. There's usually a six-month development plan that al aligns with it. And then when we do six-month follow-up calls with them, we hear some amazing things about the impact of this development on leaders' understanding and competence to be inclusive leaders. But we have to recognize that it, it's it's quite a journey that takes a lot of work, and it's you can't just deliver diversity training once and flick a switch and say you're done. And I think too many organizations use it as a bit of a, a checkbox exercise. Oh, we did the diversity training, that's it, we're done. Oh, and they go, why haven't we had an organizational change? Because, you know, you it's uh, training is just one tool in the toolbox of organizational change, but it's, it's an important piece of helping people be more competent to lead the charge for that change. It sounds like a great process that's really tailored to uncovering the cultural competence of a senior leadership team. I'm sure it uncovers a lot of unconscious bias and it really opens up the leadership team's eyes and ears. And I bet it results in a lot of meaningful and personal conversations. This summer, 
not just my team, but all teams across ADP held these types of conversations, not as an addition to a regular occurring meeting, but on its own to show the importance of our inclusivity focus. It was a great experience, Kathy. Absolutely. And one of the most important things that we can do in diversity, equity, inclusion work is seeking other people's perspectives. Well, for me, hearing firsthand from my teammates, racialized experiences they had revealed a lot into what they encounter inside and outside of the workplace. These were unprompted comments that showed a perspective many of us were unaware of. At the end of the day, Kathy, I think it brought the team closer and I hope it showed that we all had our colleagues back. One of the things that I encourage teams to do, leadership teams, diversity councils, doesn't matter what kind of team we're working with, is when you're making an important decision or creating an initiative or creating a new service, whatever it is that you're doing, asking yourself the question, whose perspective is not represented here and how do we get it? Because we often make decisions in organizations with, you know, teams that don't have all the perspectives represented. And then we go and roll something out and we're surprised when people aren't responding positively to that. And it's because we didn't seek their perspectives ahead of time. So that perspective sharing is just an important part of everyone's learning, but also should be baked into the way that we're doing things. Kathy, now that we've touched on what the executive team can be doing, let's talk about which specific activities you find are good for HR managers to start out with. But it looks like we'll have to save that response and more for our next episode of the Insights at Work podcast. Today, we've had so much to talk about and we have so much more to discuss that we're going to continue our conversation on diversity, equity, and inclusion with you, Kathy, next week in a special part two of this podcast. This is the part of the podcast where I thank everyone for listening in. I know it's tough to find time to carve out for thought leadership, and I appreciate you, the listener, for making the time for us. Anything we can do to help ourselves get better at something is time well spent. On our next episode, we'll be talking with more HR experts about today's most important HR issues. I'm Jeff Livingston. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be kind. We'll see you soon on our next episode of ADP's Insights at Work.